Hello, I'm Jake Thorne, and welcome to the American Sheep Industry Association's Research Update Podcast. For the majority of those involved in the U.S. sheep industry, lamb production is the cornerstone of their business. Being able to produce lambs more often than once a year is something that a lot of us have probably considered at some point. But there is also recognition that moving to an accelerated schedule will likely not be successful without some management and infrastructure changes. Dr. Richard Earhart, small ruminant specialist at Michigan State University, has spent a portion of his career studying accelerated protocols and researched different methodologies and strategies to improve the efficiency, animal health, and productivity of these systems. We are fortunate to have Dr. Earhart back on the Research Update podcast to share with us his expertise on shortening the lambing interval. Thanks for being back with us today, Dr. Earhart. Hey, Jake. It's great to be here. I'm glad to talk about accelerated lambing and look forward to this. Great. Uh, now, m- some of our listeners might not have listened to our previous podcast, which you be have been a guest on. Uh, so before we get into the topic, Dr. Earhart, would you remind us just briefly uh, of your current professional role and, and some of your responsibilities? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm at As you mentioned, I'm at Michigan State University. I've been here since 2009. I'm the uh, small ruminant specialist, and that what that means is, you know, I cover extension as my primary responsibility, but I also teach in the animal science department and in the vet school, uh, teach a, a course in, in the vet school, and I do some research as well. So I'm, I'm kind of covered across those three areas. Awesome. So I, I do want to ask you, how did you initially become interested in, in studying accelerated lambing? Yeah, well, I've always been interested in sheep production, of course. And, yeah. you know, uh, for me, my introduction came when I was at Cornell University um, in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, I was a grad student there. Uh, they've worked pretty extensively on accelerated systems. It's the way they manage their program. So I got exposed to it that way. And um, it really benefited my research when I was a grad student because I could get sheep to study any time of year, whatever right, production yeah. state I wanted. So so that was my introduction. And then also as a grad student, I uh, to make extra money and to kind of be stay connected to the industry, I sheared sheep um, on weekends and so forth. And I sheared a lot of these flocks that were on this system. So I got to see the you know things that were working, the things that weren't right in the field for almost a 10-year, maybe even 15-year period. And so that was my introduction. And then um, as a sheep producer, I started my own farm in the early 2000s, and that gave me a chance to kind of put the things I learned both at Cornell, in the field, uh, together, um, and in in my own farm and see what really works and what doesn't. And then eventually I came here to Michigan State and started studying these systems a little more formally. Okay, awesome. So what were some of your initial observations when you started, uh, you know, even whether it was with your own animals or at Cornell or, or even outside farms when you started visiting those those operations? What were some of the things you first noticed uh, for those folks that were successful? Yeah, um, it was. it became apparent, especially when I started my own farm and even when I was um, – shearing back in the 90s that not everybody got great out of season um lambing right. and that seemed to be a pretty big obstacle for many to adopt this system so you know be a, become a problem if they you don't have your used lamb in the fall 
and you're in a northern climate like upstate New York or, or, or here we are in Michigan, all of a sudden those ewes get pushed to lamb in the middle of winter. Yeah. So you get this huge lamb drop in the middle of winter where, you know, space and facilities and everything's pretty limited. So yeah. that was the kind of the barrier. And we noticed that some people were successful, some weren't. And it became kind of a natural curiosity for me, both from a practical point of view, trying to do it, you know, make money and do the system. And from a scientific point of view, you know, what might be explaining some of this big variation we saw. So what are what are the goals of an accelerated schedule? Yeah, sure. I think that's a good place to start, too. Um, I think the uh, major goal, I would say, is to produce a consistent supply of lambs, you know, throughout the year. Right. I think that's the goal that we're trying to do. That allows us to build markets in the sheep industry um, and allows, you know, producers maybe to get a little bit of an edge in marketing when you have a consistent year-round supply. So that's the primary goal, I would say. And not only, well, I'd say the secondary goal is to increase production efficiency. So by accelerating the system, you've reduced some of the maintenance of the ewe. You've basically removed four months where they're less productive and reinvested that nutritional input into maybe a little more nutrition in her cycle. But basically, you're reinvesting it into a more productive state. So I, I kind of want to ask you to expand on something, the first part of that answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about a consistent supply of, of lambs year-round and how that might build markets and, and maybe create some economic benefit. How, how exactly would that work? Well, I think when you it, – it's interesting. You know, people who adopt these systems, that's really what they find. They, they are able to, you know, perhaps get contracts with – um, specialty lamb groups because they're the ones who have the consistent supply right. when okay. you know in the off season. Um, you know, there's many markets that prefer to have a consistent supply, so you kind of yeah. get you're in first line for those. So I say, you know, that's one of the yeah. primary yeah. things um, right. that, that that drives it. And you know, you'd be surprised. Um, you know, we sell some sheep to research. We get research contracts. We get you know, contracts to maybe a little bit higher end meat markets. Um, and yeah, so that's one of the, that's, that's, that's the key thing I think about it. Right. Okay. So accelerated lambing is really a, a pretty broad, all encompassing term. Uh, so could you share with us some more about maybe the specifics of some common accelerated protocols uh, and maybe some pros and cons uh, of each of those approaches? Yeah, I can try to do that here. Sure. Um, the, uh, there's a couple different systems. All of them are basically, you know, accelerating the production cycle. To the degree right. to which they accelerate it varies a little bit. Um, many have fixed on like an eighth-month system, or okay. sometimes it's called three times in two years. Okay. And, you know, the ewes have eight-month birth interval. There's a system known as the uh, STAR system that mm-hmm. Brian McGee and Doug Hogue at Cornell uh, develop that is a little more intensified, you could call it, in some in, so, in some regards. It, it It's basically a five times in three years, and that's 7.2 months if you do that math. And so that's slightly shorter birth interval. Um, some might argue, although it hasn't been, you know, people can't really compare these systems head-to-head. It's hard to have half your flock on one system and right. half on another. 
But just my, I guess my observation is that often a well-managed eighth-month system might allow for a little bit greater recovery of body reserves. So even though they're not lambing quite as often, they may tend to have slightly more lambs per lambing. And so they become sort of similar in productivity. Um, There's a little more flexibility in the eighth month system. And some people actually take an eighth month system and they actually have basically two eight month cycles superimposed by, or offset, excuse me, by a few months. So instead of lambing three times a year, like you would in a typical eight month system, they're lambing um, six times a year. So every other month. And some of the farms that do that like it a lot. Um, they, they're able to, by doing that, you know, have a kind of consistent labor. There's a bunch of labor, but it's consistent and they can actually really specialize in sheep production because they have this labor force that are keeping busy in an efficient manner year round. So they're lambing one month off a month, lambing a month off a month sort of schedule. That really makes sense. And a little bit smaller groups than just the, the three times a year, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's one of the – thanks for raising that point. That's one of the advantages of accelerated. If you were to compare it to a once-per-year system yeah. and you just have a single drop, an accelerated system, you, you'll have a fraction, half that size drop, typically half your user lambing at once or even a smaller proportion if you're on this, you know, super – or. Uh, double, I guess you call it, eight-month system. Sure. So is the eight-month system predominantly what uh, you've worked with in the in the MSU flock, or, or have you guys tried other protocols? Yeah, we, we actually, you know, we've only been accelerating these ewes. We had, we expanded our flock in 2016 and built a new okay. facility that allowed us to do this system. Okay. Prior to that, we had a smaller flock with a different emphasis. So yeah, we we just started then. We've start we stuck with this eighth month system. Um, so we haven't really tried other systems. I was involved, you know, at Cornell using the Star system. They had a couple different farms actually. They had one was a research farm, one one was more like a proof of concept, like ran as a commercial farm that used that system, and they 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 became very efficient using the Star system. But I've I've had experience with both. We just stuck with the eight month system, um, basically because. Um, it was, it, perhaps the adoption rate spent a little bit greater in the field and it kind of represented what people are doing. An advantage of the star system, I just add, is that you have this capacity to put your use back with rams a little quicker than the conventional eighth month system. Uh-huh. So some people prefer that, um, for that reason. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question about that here in okay. a few minutes. Uh, but just since 2016, you know, you said you've you've kind of transitioned that MSU flock uh, to a more accelerated schedule. Have there been production differences that you've noticed in terms of uh, amount uh, of lambs or, or pounds of lamb we maybe weaned throughout the year or whatever the metric is or uh, versus how, how that flock produced previous to that time point in kind of a more conventional setup? Yeah, it's a little hard for me to do that because we didn't really have the flock – a direct comparison there. So I'll speak a little more generally than what sure. I can say about the MSU flock because we sudden, we suddenly got a lot of polypay genetics in our flock. Yeah. A bunch of things changed at once. So there wasn't a great baseline to compare it to, but when you do compare it to an annual system, you can expect in an eighth month protocol, about 40% more lambs per you per year, um, 30 to 40%, I would say. 
So, you know, if you think about that, that gives you a pretty good idea of, you know, the increase yeah. in productivity you might expect. Sure, absolutely. So what what are the challenges that come with implementing accelerated, accelerated lambing? And, and are there particular sheep that are better suited for it than others? Uh, I'm sure uh, you yeah. have a pretty broad answer there, a lot to say on that. Yeah, there's there are some sheep that are better than others. Um, there's only certain genetics, you know, like sheep are seasonal breeders largely, but they vary in the extent of their seasonality. So even the most, in my experience so far, I haven't found a breed of sheep that has the same like lambing percentage year round. Those might right. exist. I just haven't found them yet. All sheep seem to dip a little bit in the during the fall lambing period. Mm-hmm. Um, and some more than others, I'm sure. Um, same with their conception rate. You tend to see a slight dip in the fall. Some greater than others. And some sheep just won't really breed at all unless you can, you know, change the lighting. So all this yeah. is, you know, entrained by photopeered or light, right? Yeah. And so, you know, you could create an accelerated system with seasonal sheep using light if you really wanted to. And some people do very successfully. Um, so, yeah, breed is really important. Um, other things, you know, you have to have uh, you have to meet the sheep's nutritional requirements. Yeah. And so you have to keep in mind, you know, if you're accelerating, you're going to be having sheep with higher productive, higher productive needs um, during periods of the year where you may have to supplement them. You don't have pasture, you know, so yeah. you got to make sure. And then, you know, lambing, you have to think about the facilities for lambing. You know, are you, do you have a climate that's conducive to lambing outdoors in the middle of winter? You know, some places may most people don't necessarily so they would have to have some kind of indoor lambing facility now if you're already doing indoor lambing which quite a few people do in the winter um, Mm -hmm. then that's great so you don't have to make a huge change but for many people you know for some for some they would obviously need to have that kind of infrastructure investment too right so you you mentioned lighting protocols and i'm really interested want to ask you uh, to expand on that a little bit further what do those entail, and and how how does that benefit the success of a accelerated lamb? Yeah. So first of all, they're not necessary to do accelerated lambing. Okay. But yeah. they are a way to perhaps reduce the risk and kind mm-hmm. of optimize it a little bit more. So you don't have to. We don't use lighting protocols at all at MSU. We don't use okay. lighting on rams or use. So. We're, we're choosing to use, you know, our nutritional management, our breeding management to, to optimize the system. Um, but, yeah, you certainly can use uh, lighting protocols. In fact, in the province of um, Quebec in Canada, there's a lot of farms that do that very successfully. They work with sheep that have a really high lambing percentage naturally, like their user lamb, lambing on a 250% lambing rate, which we don't really have too commonly in the United States. Right. And then they take those ewes, which are already very prolific, and they basically put them on a light-dark cycle. They pretty much put them on a four months of um, 16 hours light, eight hours dark, and then four months of the inverse, uh, 16 hours dark light. And they basically you know turn in rams a few months after the dark cycle. And these sheep become... I guess you'd say, like, um, in the perfect lighting, like, it, you know, basically we think of, like, October, November are often mm-hmm. 
you know, the seasons of the year where we get the highest lambing percentage when we mate in those seasons, they right. basically mimic that those lighting conditions, that declining photo period, shorter days, just with that. And so, of course, that requires some fan, some barns that are well yeah. ventilated. <laughs> You'd have to have light dark cycles in the middle of summer. And yeah. there, you know, they, many of the farms there were on the we're actually once dairy farms and they have these, you know, pretty nice feeding systems, good ventilation and all this. So they're able to do it. There's one other lighting protocol. That's a little bit of a, that I've had experience with that's called extended day lighting. That's just a bit different. That doesn't require a truly dark barn, so to speak. You don't have to, you know, have dark conditions. You can use a normal barn, but basically what you do is you, uh, extend the lighting in winter so you leave the lights on all night for a few months in the winter like maybe when the ewes are lambing um, the winter ewes are lambing then you turn them off and that basically relative difference between 24 hours of light versus normal ambient light also can help trigger this um uh take take sheep and keep them from going into the anesterous or or, you know shut down their their cyclicity so people have used that i've done that with my own flock and a few others um haven't been able to do a true like controlled study of it i would have to confess but we did see at least as i can explain i had some suffolk use for example that i used as a little sub flock in my own flock and um, they started lambing nicely in the spring or excuse me in the fall as a result of doing that. So I think it has some okay. success. I didn't notice a difference in my commercial sheep, which were, has some dorset fin breeding. They didn't seem to make a big difference that I could see when I, when I applied that protocol, but yeah, I think it has some merit um, and it's easy to apply. Okay. But there's some other strategies too. And I think you probably alluded to them talking about uh, in the Michigan state flock there. How about, cedars uh, is that something that can be used successfully to kind of induce that cyclicity or or are there some other strategies that you know you'd like to you'd like to bring up too yeah so i think most sheep that are um we'll call them moderately aseasonal they're not truly you know they they you can induce them with ram introduction so what we found in our research at msu recently and maybe people knew this already, but it was a surprise to me um, that most breeds, even the ones that were breeding in the spring, they don't really start cycling until rams are introduced. And so that's a key part of it to make to make sure you um, take advantage of that. So we, you don't need to use teaser rams, but we use teaser rams to give a really good induction and... Um, that gives a more synchronized lambing too. So that's one of the things that we do um, as as a way to, you know, uh, take the risk out of accelerated lambing. Basically, the ram management part, I believe, is becoming more and more clear to me that it's a big part yeah. of it. So you would need to have, I guess, higher ram to um, U ratio. So, you know, fewer U's per ram. Um, for especially for that spring mating, not really necessarily for the fall matings, but for those off-season periods, that's really important to make sure you get this really good induction. So it will induce, 
Fertile rams will induce it too. You'll just get like a delayed lambing. So if you take a bunch of fertile rams, throw them in, or excuse me, introduce them to ewes in the spring, the ewes will will be induced, but they'll lamb like probably a cycle later on average than they typically would during a normal breeding season. Okay. So can you also give us some insight on on breeding ewes that either had were you know just weaned their lambs or versus ewes that still have lambs on them? Uh, you know how does that kind of that weaning to the the rebreeding? How does that work in accelerated protocol? And, and what are the the benefits or successes of of having lambs on or off the ewes? Yeah, so most producers who focus on the eighth month system wouldn't be having. Um, Lambs you know, rams with lactating ewes. Right. You you could, I suppose. I don't see a huge advantage to it unless you're, mm-hmm. you know, in a management program where, I don't know, it's maybe on pasture or a little different system. Mm-hmm. Um, I have just learned a little bit on my own that, yeah, I could get ewes, especially in the fall. In the, those fall lambing ewes will start cycling usually about, approximately 30 days after they lamb. And so, yeah, that's the middle of lactation or first third of lactation, depending on your system. So you could, and I've done it, you can get these used to lamb basically every six months then, right? right but okay. problem with that is, you know, the ewes need adequate energy status. Like they need enough, I guess, just perception their brain needs to perceive that it's a good time to mate so they tend to have lower lambing rates and then it's pretty hard to get them to stay on that system they don't you can't necessarily breed successfully during um you can't breed as successfully during lactation in the spring right so it generally isn't a sustainable program and most people feel like that's hard and it's pretty hard to manage sure absolutely yeah Okay, so I think this is probably the right time to ask you to expand a little bit on some of the research that you've conducted. Uh, so first of all, just broadly, you know, what are what are some of the major questions that you've noticed or, or you've come up with when studying accelerated lambing, and, and how did you go about you know applying the scientific method there and, and finding out results? Yeah, so our, our research program is pretty active still, but I can tell you some of the th- questions we've evaluated and we are evaluating one of them is just looking at we you know one of the things i noticed in the field as i mentioned before is that you know there's big variation in uh in success rate of accelerated lambing and we would look at flocks that had essentially the same genetics in fact um one of the flocks i studied i did a field study actually uh in the in the early or in the early 2000s and one of the flocks that was really successful got all their breeding stock from one of them that wasn't successful so that was kind of interesting yeah and so we compared those flocks directly the ewes and the i'll call it successful flock um had better body condition Mm -hmm. um they were also free of ovine progressive pneumonia these are just you know number of things that we noticed um, the rams were in better body condition. Um, so then it becomes difficult to isolate. You know, those are several factors there, right? right? And, you know, I think all of those things can put a break on a system. I was kind of, I started, I focused on the U nutrition part 
because you know I'd done some reading in the scientific literature that showed, for example, you know, fine wooled sheep like merinos or rambolets, they will breed out of season pretty well um, generally. Um, in fact, you know, in California, a lot of the lambs yep. produced there in Imperial Valley are are lambing in the fall, and because that's when they're their seasonal rains give a good feed supply during the winter. Same with Western Australia. And um, so there's some research, particularly from Western Australia, that showed that rams that were these, you know, moderately seasonal breeds like merinos, if you fed them well, um, they tended to have, you know, greater testicular size, um, were basically more fertile. Yep. And so I was thinking, well, that must apply to female reproduction at some to some degree. Right. So we put together a study to look at that, and um, you know, so far what we found is that, yeah, um, we we do see some subtle differences in the cyclicity of those ewes. Although we saw even our poorly fed ewes had a pretty high conception rate, um, but they certainly had a lower lambing percentage. Okay. So there shouldn't be a big surprise. It's the story of flushing, yeah. right? You know, flushing is pretty important to optimize responses. And you have to consider with accelerated lambing, you have this shorter interval. So those ewes, you're asking them to get rebred right at the end of lactation. If they're thin, which most of them are going to be somewhat thin, you know, if they've prolific sheep raising twins or even triplets they're 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 you it's hard sometimes to maintain their body mass if you can maintain their body mass though they'll have a much higher lambing rate than if you don't so we learned that um flushing responses are really important we get the same response regardless of season but certainly it makes a big difference and we've got some yeah we've learned some more subtle things that and we also think that uh as i alluded to before ram exposure Mm -hmm is a big part of it, or RAM coverage. In these experiments, we would be, just to make sure that we didn't have individual RAMs, um, we, we needed to make sure we took out the RAM component when we're looking at U reproduction. So we rotated the RAMs between all these pens of dis- different nutritional treatments mm-hmm. um, twice a day. So that's not like your common protocol. Right, yeah. Most producers aren't going to be you know rotating sure. RAMs between pens. But by doing so... I think just those rams would be, you know, seeking, using heat twice a day. We had outstanding conception rates, even in our low, you know, nutrition groups, which kind of didn't really support my hypothesis sure. that, you know, but it did, it did tell me a lot. And it, it, it told me we're seeing some more subtle things now that I, I can't really completely summarize for this podcast, but we do see some. There are certainly you shouldn't underfeed your sheep, right. okay? Yeah, <laughs> but you, you but nutrition is a part of it. But um, sheep will breed out of season without of it, without you know, like being extremely well fed. But there are some big advantages in terms of productivity of the sheep. They'll have more lambs. They'll have a better lactation, and um, and so forth. Sure, and I know you you said you've got some some trials going on right now and, and some results mm-hmm. that you're, you're still analyzing. Uh, but I was just curious if you wanted to share any more about the further direction of your research program and, and anything else that you're going to look at in, in accelerated lambing. Yeah, sure. There's a few things. Um, we're trying to, I guess, I'm interested in optimizing some of the male, uh, the ram management mm-hmm. parts of it. So that's something um, we'd like to understand a little bit better. Um, 
And then also refining, I guess you call it, our flushing protocols. Yeah. You know, if you look at the National Research Council's recommendations for feeding sheep, they have a flushing protocol in there that isn't clearly defined and might vary according to a production system. And so I'm trying to understand that a little bit better. So we're understanding, like, trying to understand now, like, how much nutrition is needed, how much additional calories do these sheep need to get this, you know, higher ovulation rate? And then are there any detriments to, to carrying that higher, you know, energy consumption into early pregnancy? How does that affect embryonic loss? Um, there's some evidence that, you know, if you feed these sheep really well just before breeding, you get this high ovulation rate. But then there's also some evidence in the literature that suggests that if you keep, if you overfeed ewes in early pregnancy, you can create a condition where you might lose some embryos as well. So, and and who would want to like continue to feed your sheep a high energy diet forever? They'll get fat, right? So we're trying to, um, I guess, uh, fine tune that and, and, and hopefully provide some inf- helpful information to producers, you know, working on, and not just for accelerate systems, this applies to all sure. sheep production, maybe a little bit more to prolific breeds, but you know, there, it's pretty general, whether it's in the spring or fall, um, that, that, you know, some of these principles apply. Okay. So uh, for this next question, I, I want to give one caveat. I, I realize that management it likely plays a, a huge role in this, but I am curious, what is the expected longevity of, of use in the flock when under accelerated lambing system? Um, well, that's okay. So the main calling reason most people call use in these more intensified systems is mastitis. Yeah. Um, that would be, the main reason i i mean when a ewe gets to be ten, we have we have ewes in these systems that are 10 years old that's pretty uncommon but they don't just necessarily burn out like automatically but they might get mastitis more likely if sure. they're lambing more often sure. because the incidence of mastitis in cattle i know has been studied and it's pretty much related to milk production mm-hmm. level of milk production and you know how, how many days in milk right mm-hmm. so you have days in milk and sheep going to be a lot higher on accelerated system, you know, 30, 40, 50% higher, you're going to have, you know, greater incidence of mastitis. Therefore, those use, you wouldn't have necessarily a higher replacement rate because um, the ewes are lambing more often, producing more lambs, like of your total lambs born. But yeah, they might have a slightly shortened production cycle because of that. Mm -hmm. No one's exactly quantified that, but that's kind of more... That, that stands to reason, I guess, right. in, in my mind at least. Um, I think that, you know, if you don't have chronic disease like OPP in your flock, which is pretty important for all systems, um, you can expect accelerated use. You know, people will commonly, commonly start calling use, you know, I, I guess six or seven years of age. That's a pretty old you yeah. in most systems. So it isn't that they, they necessarily have a shorter production cycle, but... Maybe so if you were to compare them directly, you know, in the same management program, which is pretty hard to do, I would say when a flock switches from annual to accelerated, they might expect slightly higher culling rates, you know, slightly lower, excuse me, um, production lifespans. They'll have 
just as many or more lambs in that life, perhaps. Mm-hmm, right, yeah. But they might be a little bit younger. Okay. And so you've brought up mastitis, obviously, and, and OPP a couple times. Uh, what yeah. other health concerns could potentially be a challenge in, in accelerated lambing? And how do you, you just kind of prevent, prepare for that or prevent that? Yeah, I guess those are respiratory diseases you would kind of think about pretty fast because it wouldn't necessarily have to be that, but because most of these systems have some indoor component, you know, they don't have the same, they don't have the perfect air quality you might see outdoors. Um, Those tend to show up um, pretty much any chronic disease of sheep isn't good. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I so I'd have a hard time saying that they're Something especially specific. bad during excitement, but I think the respiratory disease ones. So I, there's been a few flocks, just as an example, that I've studied. You know, they they were pasture lambing flocks, mm-hmm. maybe brought the ewes indoors. Usually, they even fed outdoors in the winter. So they fed outdoors in the winter in a northern climate. They were, and we did some screening of those flocks to help them look at health issues and that we found for example one of those blocks at five percent positive sheep for opp very few clinical signs just a few wasn't alarming but when they brought those ewes and 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 tried to adopt accelerated lambing within a year they were up into the upper 20s so they uh, changed their percentage of opp positive sheep very quickly just because they had them lambing indoors and you know the young ewes were being exposed indoors at a younger age. And so, you know, those are some factors that you need to consider. Um, Outside of that, I can't, I can't really say, you know, that there would be a special disease concerns um, that would be different than any other flock. Okay. Now I do want to ask you too about replacement production. Do, do most accelerated uh, operations, at least in your experience, do they develop their own replacements or are those often outside purchased animals that, that come in? You know, most of the flocks seem to, to, to develop their own replacements, partly for biosecurity reasons. Um, you know, if they have, they, you know, most of them are OPP, try to be OPP free, foot rot free. Um, there's no reason why they might not consider some, we don't, we don't have a whole lot of people, with foot rot, OPP free sheep yeah. being sold, selling pig <laughs> stock in the United States, right? Yeah. If they existed, I think, you know, might be a viable option. In Canada, they did have systems like that where some of the larger flocks had certified health status and they sold breeding stock. Uh-huh. Um, there's a little bit of that in the United States, but not a lot. So most people raise their own replacements yeah. um, in these systems, is what I've seen. Are, are there some challenges with that replacement production when you've got? you know, ewe lambs that are born at different times of the year and kind of getting them growing out and, and into that productive portion of their life? Yeah, you need to be aware of a few things. I don't think it poses too large of an obstacle, but um, basically ewes that are born in the fall are going to reach puberty at a much later age than ewes that are born, for example, mid to late spring. Mm-hmm. If they're born in the fall, very few of those ewes are going to be able to breed that first spring and lamb at 12 months of age. Right. You know, if, so if you're trying to do that, that would be a real challenge. So that makes it, could make it a challenge to get ewes to enter, um, you know, every one of your lambing cycles to bring replacement ewes. 
you can extend those ewes to have them lamb instead of at, or excuse me, breed at say seven months of age. You could have them breed at 11 months right. of age, which is what most people do. And that works pretty well because they usually, they have a higher lambing percentage and then, you know, they're in the more optimal photo, you know, light cycle for, for, for develop, for, for breeding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I still get those producers who really want to get their seven month old used to lamb in the spring and they just are, they struggle to do that. So if that is an absolute need to keep your system going, and I find in practical sense, it usually can be overcome in different ways. Um, often, so those use you'd be adding um, in, uh, thinking about it here, like in, in late summer to, to, to those fall lambing use, excuse me, you, you know, you'd be lamb, you'd be trying to add them in the spring, obviously. Right. Um, you, you can overcome that with different ways. So you can add some more use to that spring lambing period from the previous fall to kind of fill in that deficit. Right. And so it doesn't become such a such, such an imbalanced system. Right. Okay, you brought up ram fertility. You obviously said earlier that, you know, it's a big component of the success of, of accelerated protocol. I kind of want to circle back to that. You know, we think of ewes and, and seasonal anestrus, and, but how how does ram fertility fluctuate throughout the year and what are some ways to uh, increase that year-round viability of those males yeah i i'm not as familiar with all of those uh, uh, opportunities but Mm -hmm. you know there are some potential so yeah applying a hormonal um therapy to your use is a pretty big step you know you have to treat them all it might be possible to do some melatonin treatment to rams um, to get them to, which is a, you know, because you're dealing with a smaller number of sheep. Um, there hasn't been a whole, whole, whole lot done on that. There's some evidence that you can maybe get a ram to think he's any breeding any time in, in the fall, even in the spring. Mm-hmm. A lot of the breeds we utilize are pretty capable, even though, you know, like we said, they, they you just... They're, they're not, their libido might be slightly less. I can't yeah. quantify that. You know, people who do breed proper studies probably could. But um, it's adequate if you use them yeah. at a, a higher ratio to get them to breed in the spring. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you know, there's clear breed differences um, in, in, in seasonality of both female and male reproduction. They're generally pretty well matched. You don't find rams from one breed right. are, you know, not able to breed out of season where ewes are. Yeah. So it's generally pretty much predicted. I used to, for example, um, try to use terminal sires in my flock when I was in New York. I would turn in these, they're mostly Suffolk-type rams. I would bring them in in the spring, and I'd get, you know, at the same ratio as the commercial rams, uh, excuse me, as the, as the you know, maternal sire rams, mm-hmm. which would be like a Dorset fin-type ram. And I'd get very few black lambs born right. in the fall, and that's a pretty com- now, that's a pretty much reasonable test. If sure. you see that year after year, occasionally you'd find some wonder ram, mm-hmm. some yeah. Suffolk ram that you know might yeah. be exceptionally good. So I can't say it's an absolute, but in general, on average, they're going to be poorer. Um, one other thing, Jake, that that people are interested in and, and might be feasible, and it's already been proven, is that you could put those rams on a light protocol. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's more feasible because you just got a small number of sheep in a dark room yep. in the winter. 
and you know that might be a, a pretty good a pretty good thing to try and i think that 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 idea has merit and people have tried that and um you know that might be a pretty good investment if you're concerned about limited ram power um yeah and you know maybe there are some breeds you could use as teaser rams that could induce use better than others there's some thoughts that you know some some people are testing out those ideas um, so those those are some ideas to share. One thing about RAM fertility, you know, is and all sheep producers know this that they're pretty subject to heat. So are used to a degree, not really fertility, but embryo or you know fetal development. Yeah. But RAMs, yeah, if you overheat RAMs, forget it. They're fertile for yeah. a pre, for an extended period of time. That spermatogenesis, the whole cycle, shuts down for whatever you know six weeks. Yeah. So you have to make sure you keep those guys. Um, and, and so that could be a limit for some environments, yeah. right? You Absolutely. know, breeding during hot weather might, you know, outdoors might be hard to, 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 to keep them at the right temperature. So that becomes a factor. We've seen that. We've seen our rams, our dorset type rams, our dorset polypay type rams. When we've put, uh, by accident, we had left some, you know, I wouldn't say, in super hot conditions, but they were, didn't have access to shade for a couple of months of the year, and they became infertile. Whereas, when any time they had access to shade, they would be fine. So they are sensitive to those things. So you have to be careful with your ram management. Right. Okay, uh, you've covered a lot and, and, and put out a, a lot of great uh, advice over the last uh, forty minutes or so. But what is your, what are your general recommendations to producers who are thinking about moving from a conventional to an accelerated production cycle? Sure. Um, I think that, and, and I'm not the only person who's thought about this, but yeah. based on what myself and, for example, some of the Ontario producers have, have, have put together, they looked at flocks that they, they compared in Ontario, for example, accelerated lambing, to once per year lambing and they tried to come up with some you know predictors of of success and some and some kind of metrics to think about um and i think it was an interesting way to think about it and what they what they figured concluded from that is that if you want to be um profitable in accelerate system and make that jump you probably need to be a fairly productive flock in a conventional once per year system. And that would mean, you know, you'd have to have certain genetics, certain nutritional management in general. So they said, for example, they had this metric. They said, if you can't sell 1.3 lambs per ewe per year in a once per year system, that's a pretty high lambing rate. You probably shouldn't consider going to an accelerated system until you can get above that threshold okay. because you're you're you probably won't see reap the rewards of the system okay. you'll be doing a lot of extra work maybe yeah. without the reward right right so i think you need to optimize the health nutrition lambing management to get that you know your system so i, I and i can if i go to someone's farm i can kind of tell if this farm is going to be successful making that jump mostly on their nutritional management. Mm -hmm. You know, most farms are just used to feeding their sheep a certain way. You have to, you can't really let your foot off the gas too much in um, accelerated production. So 
for example, my ewes, I have a, my own private farm. If I were to leave my ewes um, on a annual system, they would be really fat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So yeah. they kind of need to accelerate so they stay, yeah. up, you know, like in normal body condition. And that's not because I'm feeding them grain all the time. Right. It really isn't. It's mostly to do with my pasture management. Yep. And, you know, just I've become used to managing my pastures in a certain way. So the user, you know, maintaining or sometimes slightly gaining weight. So you have to have those management, um, you know, that mindset to, right. to, to, to be successful. Sure. Um, yeah. can, can accelerated lambing, in your opinion, be successfully conducted uh, under slightly more extensive conditions, say on pasture year round? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm always thinking about that. In New Zealand, okay, you know, they don't have barns <laughs> right, yeah. to do much more than shear their sheep in. And they've been interested in accelerated lambing. Um, they have some, you know, microclimates there where they could probably do it, where they get pretty even seasonal growth of forage. Mm -hmm. But that's the biggest problem in a more extensive system is, you know, there are probably a few areas in the United States where we could say, look, forage is just it's not completely dormant certain times of the year. Those are the areas that it might work in. Mm -hmm. um, I do, in my own farm, it might seem silly, but I do a pasture lambing program with an accelerated farm. So even though I have this barn I could lamb my ewes in, I choose to do it on pasture just to yeah. reduce labor because I, I kind of enjoy it. Yeah. But yeah, I can't obviously lamb those ewes yeah. in the in January outside. But you can take part of your system and put it on pasture. I could actually lamb my May lambing ewes and my late September ewes on pasture if I wanted to, and sometimes I do. Um, but yeah, that winter lambing period you can't. But say in your neck of the woods, yep. <laughs> you know Oklahoma, Texas, um, yep. perhaps some coastal climates there in the Western United States, you could certainly consider. Um, to doing that as long as you can meet their nutritional requirements during those periods you know you might have to do some supplemental feeding there's no reason why you couldn't get your head around that i suppose right yeah. um and that's probably what they were th thinking about in new zealand yeah. they didn't actually have the aseasonal genetics too much in new zealand interestingly that seemed to be their biggest problem and we have that right so i'm, I'm a little bit surprised they're not doing more of it and probably such a big sheep country they are doing some of it successfully and i'm just not aware of it right now sure yeah yeah i i asked that question because of where i'm at in texas you know our our mm -hmm. winters are actually you know very mild uh, traditionally uh, and comparatively and so they're um, from an environmental standpoint that's maybe not as much a concern as the summer i would imagine that and you, mm. you talked about it you know that's heat stress point. during the summer could would be a, a a larger weather concern i would say for us yeah, I think that's a good point. And I should be careful how I say some of these things because I don't think of all those factors not living in your environment. But it's tough. I don't want, like our ewes, we wouldn't want them lambing outside. That pasture lambing window has got to be pretty tight yeah. for us even. And our, our, we have this explosive growth of grass, so you got to get on it just right. right if, you, yeah. if those ewes are you know, raising or carrying twins in the heat, that's not optimal for them, right? right. Yeah. So we, we, we need to, we, we try to lamb our ewes in the middle to end of May. And if we push it into summer outdoors, it, it'd be a problem without yeah. shade. And, sure. Yeah. 
Okay, Dr. Earhart, uh, this has been a, a great discussion. Uh, we're going to start wrapping things up. Would you mind sure. leaving our listeners with, with one take-home point uh, from what we've talked about today? Yeah, I'll try. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> we, we covered a lot of ground here. But, yeah, I think the big thing is the reason why you might consider doing this is to have this consistent year-round supply yep. of lambs as we started off in the beginning talking about, mm -hmm. which allows you to build some markets. So if you have some market opportunities that, you know, and it can reduce your risk and increase your cash flow. So I think that those are some of the big reasons to do it. You can improve your production efficiency um, if you have the feed resources to meet the nutrient requirements of the use year round. So I think it's a great system for those who um, are really interested in a slightly more intensified production system. If your, you know, labor doesn't allow for that. Um, yeah. Don't do accelerated yeah. lambing because you know, you're, it wouldn't work, but if you're want to, you know, really focus on sheep production, want to have your use lambing and build these markets, you know, it's it's a real opportunity, and most people who are doing this are pretty happy with it. Right. You know, even though the adoption rate um, might not seem great, those who are doing it aren't quitting and, and, yeah. and like it and, and are building markets and, and, and making some money doing so. Yeah. So um, I think it, it has – it isn't for everybody, and it shouldn't be, but it is an important thing to think about if you're uh, – you know, have the right resources and infrastructure. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that very much. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a pleasure having you back on. Uh, thanks for taking the time. I think this is the third time uh, you've actually been on the podcast, at least since I've been hosting. Uh, I think we probably uh, need to have a, a episode, a future episode dedicated just to getting some updates from you on, on all the different research areas you've got going on. I uh, really appreciate your work that you're, you're conducting for the sheep industry here in the U.S. So, uh, listeners, uh, make sure and, and check out our previous episodes if you do want to learn more about uh, what Dr. Earhart and many other great sheep scientists are up to. Uh, until next month when we bring you another topic, always remember, eat lamb, wear wool, and with the right genetics, nutrition, and management, sheep are capable of some extraordinary things. Thanks and have a nice day.